0: Good morning, UCC. I don't know if it was in the whole room or just me this morning with worship, but man, God's either doing something with me or I don't know if that bodes well for this morning's message. I don't know one way or the other, but I appreciate this church. It means a lot to me. I don't know why this morning, but man, my wife is like, are allergies bothering you? Yep. Yep. Yep, so um, we'll see. I wasn't, I wasn't having an emotional sermon this morning at all. That was not what was prepared. But um, Megan was on her way out of town, and I was asking her questions about sermon stuff, and she mentioned this uh, idea about wounded healers. And I was like, man, I want to, yes, I want to talk about that. You can already see where this is headed. Um, and uh, and I, I got this sermon prepared, and it was like two hours long. And so what I want to do as a two-parter, because she's on vacation for two weeks, so we're going to do part one this morning, and we're going to do part two next week. Does that work out okay for you guys? I promise I won't leave you hanging in the middle. I'll give you something to go home with today, but um, that's, what, that's what we're going to do. So uh, I'm just going to dive right in, because i got a lot of ground to cover. Are you guys okay with that? Yeah. Great. I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews chapter two. Now, God did not subject the coming world, about which we are speaking to angels, but someone has testified somewhere, we are human beings. What are human beings? That you are mindful of them, of mortals that you care for them. You have made them a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. So the author of Hebrews, and we don't know who the author of Hebrews was, but whoever it was, she was brilliant that joke is not mine, but it works every time, (laughs) nevertheless, is talking about what God's doing in the world, and the testimony that we've had in chapter one of Hebrews, and we've actually preached on that before in the last year or two, we've talked about that I think even more than once, but Uh, The writer of Hebrews is talking about this world and what God's doing in the world. And then the writer of Hebrews says, now this world, we're not talking about a world that God subjected to angels. God did not make this world and choose to partner with angels. He made this world and chose to partner with human beings. For whatever reason, God makes this world and says, now I'm going to hand it all over. I'm going to entrust this whole thing to human beings, to mankind, humankind, man and womankind. Now in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside their control. So the writer doubles down here and says, and there wasn't a part that God like kept over here for himself. God said, I've made this whole world, this whole cosmos, this whole creation, and I'm working with human beings in it. Uh, there is actually a, a, a midrash that's been adjusted from a, a Christian perspective, but a Jewish story that talks about Mashiach, Messiah coming and and he comes and, and he does all these things. And in our version we would say that he comes to earth and he teaches all things and he embodies and fulfills the scriptures and the text, and then he, he dies on a cross, and he rises from the dead, and he ascends into heaven after teaching 40 days on the kingdom of God, and he gets up to heaven, and the angels gather around Mashiach, and he's telling them stories and regaling them with tales, and they're all gathered around, and he says, and at the end, I entrusted all things to them, and I ascended back to here. And the angel said, wait, you did What? He says, Yes, I entrusted all things to them, and they are my great partner. And they said, But wait and they, they all started to retort, but what what if it doesn't work? And what if it doesn't what what and he says, I'm sorry, there is no other plan B. I have entrusted all things to them. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them. So so the writer says, we haven't experienced this world as it should be. We haven't seen this partnership in its fullness. It doesn't all work in harmony like it's supposed to. We haven't seen shalom, I would say. But we do see Jesus, which is pretty good. Who for a little while while was made lower than the angels. So this Jesus, God poured himself into human form. The writer says, I'm going to review this a bunch, by the way, just to keep, because Hebrews is really hard to keep your head on straight. So the writer says there's a thing that God's doing in the world, and he's not partnering with angels, he's partnering with humankind. And we haven't even experienced that partnership in its fullness, but we have seen Jesus, who himself was made human, who joined the story on our level, a human level, now crowned with glory and honor, listen to this, because of the suffering of death. So he's now crowned with glory and honor because of suffering. By the way, this sounds almost identical to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, right? Take on the very mind and nature of Christ who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, That at his name, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord. It is because of him becoming obedient to death. It's because of him going through suffering that he's exalted. And that is very un-American. God wins by losing. And I know that our gut, our American gut, or our Western, or just our human gut, let's not beat up on America, just our human gut, especially our American one, Says no, he won on the cross. And of course he did by losing. He won by dying. He lived by giving himself up. It is in suffering. See, and we love to quote that verse, right? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Don't we love that verse? We just forget everything that comes before it, which is the reason that every knee will bow, the reason that every tongue will confess is because he lost. He chose to lose and to die, and in that, find the only victory that mattered in the kingdom. So so the writer of Hebrews says that, by the way, John will say the same thing. This is all throughout your New Testament, we just don't like to frame it up very much because it's not like happy-go-lucky, turn on the smoke machine, play loud worship music energy. But John does the same thing. John will will head. John has two portions a a book of signs and a book of glory, is what scholars often call them. Two portions to John. The first half is all about these miracles that tell us who Jesus is. And then when you get to that point where you're like, okay, I'm in, I say yes to Jesus. The whole last part of the book of John, starting in chapter 13, is the book of glory. It's how Jesus is brought to glory. And the whole message is this. You think I'm the guy? You've seen all the signs? You ready for glory? Let's go to the cross. And so what is it in chapter 13? Well, you're going to have to die. What is it in chapter 14? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we're like, oh, so Christianity is the only way to get into heaven. No! The way that he's talking about is the way of the cross. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know how God gets people into heaven. I don't really care. Jesus' message is, follow me to the cross. We get to John 15, the world will hate you. This is why the Holy Spirit is talked about all throughout that whole passage. And I won't be here on Pentecost, but I think Kent's got that covered. (laughs) This is why the Holy Spirit comes, to empower us and to take care of us in the midst of suffering and persecution because it's how Jesus is, which which, watch what the writer of Hebrews does. Watch, 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 watch. Which, with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting for whom and through whom all things exist in bringing many children to glory. See, God's doing this thing in the world where he's bringing everyone to glory. All of us, all of his kids. That's you, that's me, I don't care what church you go to or what creed you've affirmed. That's all of us. He wants to bring all of his kids to glory. That's his his desire. And and there's something about the path of suffering and perseverance and persecution. There's something about that process that God uses to bring us to glory. And And so Jesus... God chooses to partner with humanity. Jesus becomes that humanity and then finds himself glorified because of suffering. So the writer of Hebrews says, it makes sense then that if God's trying to bring all of us to glory, you guys still following me? Okay, good. In bringing many children to glory should make the pioneer, love that translation, the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. The writer of Hebrews says, if this is how you... If this is how you you find glory, if this is how you get to glory, well, it only makes sense then that God would pour himself into Jesus and make him the pioneer of our salvation by making him perfect in suffering. For the one who sanctifies and the ones and those who are sanctified all have one Father. This is all a part of the same story. There's not two different categories, there's not... There there is a creation that has been torn asunder. There is a creation that was made to be shalom, harmony, straight. It's been distorted. It's been made crooked. It's It's been disrupted. There is this thing, and there's only one thing that God's doing. He's putting it all back together. Even Jesus finds himself in the middle of this same redemption project. For this reason, Jesus, I just love this verse, For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Like, I don't know what it is about our suffering. And there, I mean, there is some suffering that is the result of our own stupid decisions. I get that. We all do, right? Like, we all have experienced suffering and consequences that have come at the hand of our own dumb mistakes. But there's a whole lot of suffering, I might even say most of it, that really isn't the result of our own mistakes, yes? It's injustice in the world, it's, it's greed, it's abuse of other people, that we, and yet we, 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 we are subjected to all of this suffering. Okay, everybody's still nodding their head at that, okay? And I don't know why it is that even in that suffering, and almost all of us, I think, are going to be able to relate to this, and some of us have endured unbelievable trial and injustice and things that should have never been done to us. And yet even though it wasn't our fault, somehow it gets connected to sh- our shame, doesn't it? Stuff that was never supposed to be ours and somehow it gets connected to our shame. And I'm, this is not a, a, I'm not equipped and I'm not an expert and this is not the sermon to try to unpack all the who's, what's, why's and where's of that. I just know that our suffering is connected to shame so often. And so in the midst of this conversation about suffering, it says Jesus is not ashamed. Jesus is not ashamed of his suffering, but he's not ashamed of yours either. He's not ashamed to join your suffering. He was not ashamed to solidarity, to join us in solidarity and suffering. Jesus was not like, well, I really don't want to have to do this, but I'll do it for you. Jesus said, no. This is what God's doing to bring, to bring glory. To bring you to glory, to bring me to glory, to restore the whole world to glory. I'm not ashamed of this. And then it quotes this. Psalm 22. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am in the children with whom God has given me. So he quotes some scripture, and yet one of the scriptures that he quotes is Psalm 22. Now, why is that relevant, all of you who are Bible nerds? It's what Jesus quotes on the cross. So Jesus is on the, cor- on the cross and he's saying, he's repeating over and over again Psalm 22. Now there's a whole, lot, a whole bunch of stuff here I want to nerd out about, but that's how I got rid of about 40 minutes of a two-hour sermon. <laughs> so so there, was, there was a scholar, here I go, that his name was Shmuel Safrai. Say Shmuel, Shmuel. Safrai. <laughs> Orthodox Jew, does not believe or follow Jesus. Okay? At Hebrew University in Jerusalem who did a dissertation work on how all seven of Jesus' passages, oh, excuse me, all seven statements that Jesus makes on the cross, all came out of Psalm 22. Now, he had to jump through the Aramaic and do some gymnastics with the Hebrew and all kinds of stuff to make that work, but it was his belief that what Jesus is doing, in fact, in, in Safrai's view, Jesus is, en- is engaging in what he said in Second Temple Judaism was called a life psalm. Every Jew had a life psalm, a psalm that they, was only theirs, between their, them and God, a personal secret, But if you could see your death coming, you wanted to have either the Shema prayer on your lips as you passed, or you wanted to be reciting your life psalm. Now maybe life psalms, maybe he's wrong about all that stuff, and maybe Jesus chooses this psalm, but whatever the case is, Jesus is reciting Psalm 22 over and over and over again as he hangs on the cross to die. He's just singing this psalm. I don't know which one is more moving. If he goes to his hymnal and chooses this psalm, Or if he's had this psalm from childhood that God gave him and said, this is your story. I don't know, but I'm going to go to Psalm 22. It's not going to be on the screen because I didn't want to give Jeffrey too much work to do. But here we go. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far? Do you see why we get all things all twisted and we're like, did God forsake Jesus on the cross? He's just singing a song written by David. Do you think he feels like God's forsaken him? Everybody say yes. Why are you so far from helping me, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Jesus says, suffering. Suffering like most of us cannot imagine. Yet, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of, it, enthroned in, on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Can you imagine those words coming from Jesus on the cross? Jesus hangs there and says, I feel like you have deserted me and suffering is my best companion. But I know that you have never deserted or forsaken your people. We have stories galore of how you have delivered us. And so here I hang, singing my song. And then he goes back, because it's not like a little bit of bad, but like, oh, but Sunday's here, yay. Sunday's not here yet, it's just Friday night for him. I am a worm and not a human, scorned by others and despised by people. All who see me mock me, they make make mouths at me, they shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord, let him deliver, let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Eerie to consider him singing this song in the context of his death on the cross. Yet, yet it was you who took me from my womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Jesus says, my paraphrase, suffering sucks, but I know that you're here, and I know that you don't forsake But then he goes back into suffering again. Many bulls encircle me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a pot and my tongue sticks to to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs all around me, a company of evildoers, encircles me. My hands and feet have been shriveled. I can, I can count all my bones, they stare and gloat at me, they divide my clothes among themselves, and, my, and for my clothing, they cast lots. Written by David, 700 years before the cross. A thousand years before the cross. Excuse me, bad man. But you, O oh Lord, but you, O oh Lord, do not be far away. O oh, my help, come quickly. To my aid, deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. And then right here is the part that Hebrews quotes. From the, from the horns of the wild oxen you have rescued me. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And everybody who was reading the book of Hebrews, who were Hebrews, that's why we call the book Hebrews, Every Jewish reader of that book or that sermon, whenever that was delivered, every Jewish reader knows this song by heart, and they know the verses that come next. Now, what did the writer of Hebrews say just before that? Can you remember? Jesus was not ashamed to be called brothers and sisters. And then quotes this song. Listen to the verses that follow. And you who fear the Lord, praise him, all you offspring of Jacob. Glorify him, stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. On the cross, in the midst of Jesus' own suffering, he says, God is not ashamed of me. He's not ashamed of you. Can you imagine Jesus hanging on the cross, the most horrific, despised position he could be in, and him singing this song and says, God's not ashamed of me right now. He's not ashamed of me in this moment. He's not ashamed of me losing. He's not ashamed of me. And the writer of Hebrews says, and he's not ashamed of you in your suffering either. Since therefore the chi- I'm back in Hebrews, since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Or in other words, he became death to conquer death, he became death to put death to death. So that we could see there's nothing to shame nor fear in that. Brought to glory. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but descendants of Abraham. Therefore he, has, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. But he himself was tested by what he suffered. Excuse me, because he himself was tested by what he suffered, He is able to help those who are being tested. Because Jesus has joined us in our suffering, because Jesus has joined us in solidarity, he does become a faithful and merciful high priest. There's a whole other hour of sermon I want to get into there, but I will not. He becomes a faithful and merciful high priest because he joins us in solidarity with our suffering. Because this is how God is bringing creation to glory. God is not ashamed of your suffering. I've got one more paragraph from from 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. I don't even know. Let's find it together, shall we? You guys okay with one more passage? I hope so. I don't even know where I'm at on time. Who knows? I'm good, they said. I don't know who said it, but somebody did. Oh, I'm in 1 Corinthians. I knew that. Well, that was not right. Second 2 Corinthians. But we have this treasure in clay jars. We have this treasure in clay jars. What does Paul mean by that? Clay jars are like, when you're reading the book of Leviticus, it says, if this kind of if if a stone vessel or a or or excuse me, like a, a silver or a gold vessel becomes unclean, you have to clean it, and there's all these things you can do. If a clay pot becomes unclean, you just break it and throw it away, because clay pots are like disposable. they're they're, they're like in a literal sense they're they're disposable utensils so paul says we have this treasure stored in clay jars referring to us we are the clay jars does anybody feel like the most fragile thing in the world that god could store his treasure in talk about screwing this up god do not put and i go back to that midrash sorry there is no plan b And of course we know why, because in our weakness his strength is made perfect. When we embrace our suffering, this is how how the glory gets in and out of the situation. Oh, there's another Midrash. Oh, it's so good. I may not be able to tell you this one without weeping. There 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 was a rabbi teaching his disciples about how we write the text on our hearts. And one of the disciples let the rabbi finish his lesson, and then he said, Rabbi, why does God tell us to write the words of God on, in our, excuse me, on our hearts rather than in our hearts? And the rabbi paused for a moment, and he said, Only God could write his words in your heart. And he does, praise be his name. But we write our, his words on our heart so that when our hearts break, his words fall inside. We have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and not come from us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body, in, in, in the always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. But just as we have the same spirit of faith, that is in accordance with Scripture, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake, so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Suffering and glory, suffering and glory, suffering and glory. And the writer of Hebrews says just never forget that Jesus came and joined you in your suffering because he was not ashamed of your suffering. And I know we have this Western thing that's like, but how, why can't God just rescue us in our suffering? And some questions are just not something I can answer in a Sunday morning sermon, but I can tell you this, Jesus joined us in our sufferings and was not ashamed of it. And there is something about the process that God uses to bring this broken creation to glory. Many sons and daughters, you and me. So I want to talk some more about that next week, but for now we'll stop there. God is not ashamed of your suffering. Let me pray. God, we we are at times ashamed of our suffering, and there's some of that that we can't necessarily. It's it's our it's our natural reaction to things. It's the it's the it's the war within us between our flesh and the spirit of God and and trying to make sense out of things and and just the, the work of suffering. But you know that, you know that because you came and you joined us in solidarity, you knew, you know what it's like to to hang on a cross and to feel like you are forsaken. You of all people, the son of God, the son of man hanging on a cross, feeling forsaken. You you know these struggles. And you are are not ashamed of those struggles. You are not ashamed of the reality of those struggles. You are not ashamed of how we struggle or feel or fight or rage. You understand. And it is in that process of lament and grief and questions and doubts and faithfulness. It's in that process that somehow creation is brought to glory, that somehow our souls are redeemed. Something in this process is all tied up together. So God, would you encourage us today? Would you rescue us from this? Would you rescue us from this cheap, shallow gospel that we sometimes cling to that says that you desire to save us from all of our problems? Because clearly you don't. And clearly you're doing something else. Would you save us from this even cheaper gospel that leads us to believe that if we're going through suffering, we're we're somehow doing something wrong or we're at fault or you're disappointed in us. Rescue us from all of these narratives and remind us that you, in fact, came to show us how to suffer well. And that didn't involve acting like the suffering wasn't real and it didn't involve not lamenting and crying out. It didn't involve not feeling pain or even wrestling with shame itself. God, we we love you. We, We try to understand the ways in which you love us because it's so much more than we could comprehend. But here we sit in worship. So God, we love you. We think of Jesus today, the author and perfecter of our faith, the pioneer of our salvation. Not ashamed to sit with us here at the Eucharist table this morning, calling us brothers and sisters, joining the family conversation. And we we value and appreciate that. God, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We're going to have a time of the Lord's Supper of the Eucharist table, and so many things we could probably say in light of the message today about this table. Um, The thought that comes to mind for me is how we as Protestants, uh, non-Lutheran Protestants, most of us, probably miss something when it comes to the table and the consubstantiation and the transubstantiation and is Jesus here or not here it's just elements maybe this morning it would be good and healthy for us to be like I don't know how it works and I don't understand the spiritual theological nuances but Jesus joins us in this meal today he is here uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit he dwells here and he is not ashamed as we take the bread and we take the juice with questions doubts, suffering he's not ashamed He's not ashamed of our failures. He's not ashamed of our grief. He joins us. He eats some bread and he drinks some juice. And he says, this is my body. This is my blood. So they're going to play some music as we uh, come up and get the elements and hold on to those. And we'll take them all here together. I'll lead us to that in just a moment. Would you stand and say our confession? Most merciful God, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.